The Linux Action Show is created by Jupiter Broadcasting. It's sponsored by Ting. Go to last.ting.com to save off your first device or plan and DigitalOcean. Go over to digitalocean.com and use our promo code LASTDIGITAL and then you can spin up your own Linux rig for free. Welcome to Linux Action Show, episode 396. My name is Chris. My name is Noah. Hey, Noah, guess what? Big show today. Coming up on 396, we're going to give you the essentials of how to properly use SSL under Linux and take advantage of that new Let's Encrypt project. A little bit of a how-to segment coming up on the big show, and I'll give you some background information if you're a total noob to this subject or you're familiar with it and heard of the new Let's Encrypt project. There's going to be something in this for you. And then in the news segment, have you heard the news that a Linux box can be hacked by pressing backspace 28 times? Okay, it's technically true. We're going to break down what's actually going on and how you can fix it. Oh, oh, another big news story this week. Cross-distro applications just took a big leap forward. Some bad news for Chrome users on older Linux boxes. And the Linux Foundation thinks they can do a better blockchain. They want the blockchain without the Bitcoin. What's the Linux Foundation doing here? We'll talk about that. Plus, we've got feedback. But before all of that, Noah, do you know what we've got? The picks. It's the picks. Yeah, that's right. It's the picks. And we have a, a double pick coming up later on in the because it's a special. It's a special week, so we did a double pick. But first, we got to start with the runs Linux. I'm a little bitter about our runs Linux this week because uh, I got a hot tip about this story before it went online. Before people were talking about it, and I thought we might be the only people talking about it this week. And then about four hours after my hot tip, it was all over. The entire web, GeoHot, that was the uh, first guy to hack the iPhone and the PS3 way back in the day. Uh, he is working on a, his own home-built, add-to-your-own-existing-car automation kit to make it a self-driving car. He's 26 years old, and he's retrofitted a 2016 Acura with the technology. This little bit of video, which is going to get last pulled off of YouTube, even though this is completely fair use, will explain exactly what's going on. Maybe. In, oh, yeah, I did mute it because I was worried about that. Hold on, let me, because the thing is, is I had a little, I was going to try a little trick, Noah, to see if we could do this without getting pulled down. Okay. But, uh, you know what, I think, honestly, I'm just going to play a few seconds earlier where, where, where it does have music. I was going to try to get around it with a little music trick, but I actually think his statement is, uh, is actually kind of relevant to the coverage, so I'm going to include mm -hmm. it, even though this is probably the very note that'll get the show pulled. Here we go. Okay, I'm, I'm waiting. Greatest invention yet. You can doubt, and you should doubt. I doubt everyone who says everything, but once I see it, you can't doubt anymore, right? Look at that huge screen. Jeez. It's like a 21-inch screen in that in that car. How do you tap into the car's internal controls? Um, so we bought for $40 off Amazon Chinese can transceivers. There's actually one right there. And we can see all the messages being sent between the components. That's how we're reading the steering angle. And we can also send our own messages, which are going to tell the car to actually turn the steering wheel and it will apply the brakes when it's appropriate. Is it hard to tap in all that, or that's what a mechanic would do today, have access to the same kind of system? The actual whole car is on the debugging port of the car. So we just have a wire plugged into the debugging port, just like a mechanic would do. It just seems crazy to me that you can, I mean, not anyone could do it. You obviously know what you're doing, but then you can kind of just plug into the car and then start getting all the, the feeds from the steering wheel, yeah. the pedals, the turn signal. Modern cars are very electronic and computers. And you ask, like, I mean, I know a bit about cars, but I'm not like a real car guy, but I'm a computer guy. Cars are computers. So he has God, taken... That's so true. He's taken a Ubuntu box and uh, he's uh, stuck, it, stuck it in there. Uh, they got some pictures of his gear. He's got, of course, a... Like a uh, a MiFi adapter in there to get data, mm -hmm. big old touchscreen. He's got a joystick to uh, do some of the navigation. Now, right now, 
It doesn't drive on the back streets. It only drives on the freeway. But in that video, they go for a drive. It's pretty cool. You know, that is cool. I It's it's interesting. He says cars are computers, and that's why he's able to do a lot of this. I have a friend that is a, that he's a, he's a mechanic for GM, and he was talking about how if in newer uh, cars, if you want to replace, like let's say you have the a switch that unlocks and locks the, the doors, right? Well, traditionally, that would just be a set of contacts that is shorted when a button is pressed. And so you could put any switch in there that shorts a set of contacts. Uh, not anymore. Now with the newer cars, it's actually a, it actually is a, is a, is a module. And that module has, you know, the equivalent of a Mac address. And that Mac address has to be registered with the car's computer or it won't accept input from mm-hmm. that module. Mm-hmm. So you can't even replace the unlock lock switch or the window switch in your own car without having their special computer so that it can, you can talk to the, the central computer to register the modules. It's just crazy to me that, you know, that that's a thing. Uh, you know, here's the other thing that comes to mind. Just saying, if I was going to hack apart a car to try and turn it into a self-driving car, I probably wouldn't do it with a brand new 2016 Acura. That's a very expensive project car, you know? Yeah, I wonder what the story is behind that. Maybe it was, uh, maybe it was sponsored. Uh, you know, you may, you'd have to have a car that has the ability to turn the wheel. Yeah. Or, oh or, yeah, yeah. So, but, well, I mean, a lot of that. I mean, since 2007, they've had you know electronic uh, throttle control and electronic steering and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, but I it just it's, it's it was just funny when he first said it was. A, I'm like, wow, you did that with a brand new car? You have like real confidence in yeah. his ability. Well, Geo Hawk goes big, I guess, when uh, he's yeah. uh, when he's hacking. Yeah. And so I'm looking at this picture of it right now, and I can see a knuck in there. I can see a couple different uh, USB buses, uh, hubs. And one of them has like a GSM uh, uh, dongle with for, for connectivity. I think I can see, yeah, there looks like a, like an Ethernet port or switch in there. Uh, so this is all in his glove box. So he's done. He's and he's he's bolted these down to a board. And then, like you mentioned in the video, it goes to his debugging port. I should offer to uh, come there and clean up this cable management a little bit. Yeah, yeah. There you go. I'm sure. Yeah. Then and then just sneak in an interview, right? Yeah. So that was a, <laughs> exactly. that was a pretty good story by Bloomberg Business Week. So you guys can check that out. We'll have a link to that in the show notes, including. The entire video, which is a pretty interesting video. And uh, Elon Musk came out this week and said, oh, that's never going to work. You have to have the entire car built for that purpose. It'll never work. But, you know, I like the idea of taking my existing vehicle and being able to retrofit it for, oh, 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 I didn't mention this, though. The cost, $1,000. Really? He thinks when he's, once he's all done, he's going to be able to productize it for $1,000. Yeah, isn't that something? So that could really happen. That could, that could really become a thing. You never know, Noah. You never know. Hey, before we get into our desktop epic and our double, double, double weekly spotlight, I want to thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of the Linux Action Show. Go to DigitalOcean.com and use our promo code LASDIGITAL. Digital. Digital. DigitalOcean is a simple cloud hosting provider dedicated to offering the most intuitive and easy way to spin up your own Linux rig up in the cloud. They have all SSD drives, so that's super nice. They have great connections. You can get started in less than 55 seconds, and pricing plans start only $5 a month. $5 a month for 512 megabytes of RAM, 20 gigabyte SSD, one CPU, and a terabyte of transfer. They have data center locations in New York, San Francisco, Singapore, Amsterdam, London, Germany, Toronto, and their interface is simple and intuitive. It's really nice, and they have a straightforward API that I really like. No, when you deploy a droplet, which data center region do you usually go for? Do you have, like, a go-to since you're over, over there in Grand Forks? Yeah, I do. Um, they unfortunately, I think the Grand Forks data center is in construction. I don't think it's actually up and running yet. But they're, they're, I, <laughs> yeah, I'm I sure it's on the top of their list. They're just gonna cool it with snow. Yeah, well, <laughs> the, uh, I I did get an, I I did get an email and and apparently 
Um, once after I uh, after I launch my millionth droplet, uh, they are going to be willing to open Which up is more the, economical the for them, though. It's yeah, more, yeah, yeah, just for me. So they're going to go ahead and do that. And but until that time, until that gets set up, I usually go um, with the uh, with the West Coast. So San Francisco, I think, is is where it, it, it by default. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it's defo- no default is New York. Yeah, default is New York, and I and I change that to San Francisco. Um, and, uh, I have done one in Amsterdam and I've done one yeah. in Toronto just because yeah. I wanted to say I had one in another country. Yeah. I, I should do them, one in Frankfurt. I've have you done, done Frankfurt. Them, I've done them. Uh, I've done them around the world. Noah, because that way when I'm syncing files for unfilter, people can sync them from there more. If I did Frankfurt and Singapore, I would have, then I would have at least one droplet in every country, in every country that they offer. I don't think I've ever done one in Singapore. Yeah, hmm. we should. I should put like a sync thing node in, in Singapore. So that way if I'm ever in the area, I'll have really fast syncing. <laughs> so you can go over there, use the promo code LASTDIGITAL, get a $10 credit, and a big thanks to DigitalOcean for sponsoring Linux Action Show. I've heard of a lot of people that are setting up Minecraft servers over the holidays. This is a good way to try it out, too. DigitalOcean.com, use the promo code LASTDIGITAL. All right, well, our chat room's in a very holiday festive mood, and so is The Beard, a.k.a. the editor of the Linux Action Show, one of the editors, and uh, also a shout-out to Mr. Ham Radio. But uh, The Beard has been campaigning for a particular app pick, and he believes it is the perfect combination of cloud music and local desktop playback. And uh, he presents to us Nuvola player? How do you suppose you say that? No, Nuvola player. I I have no idea. I actually, it is an it is it is not an accident that I just suddenly get very quiet when we're going to pronounce something because the entire world has it pegged that you're going to pronounce everything wrong. Yeah, yeah. So if I let nice. you take the first stab at it, then yeah. I can just be like, well, listen, that's what Chris says. So I just kind of followed his lead. Here, here's what it is. It's a runtime for, for web-based music streaming services, providing a more native user experience and integration with the Linux desktop environment than a usual web browser can offer. So you take something like Amazon Cloud Player or Google Play or Plex Music or Spotify or Rodeo or, or a lot of these like Bandcamp, a lot of these other really popular music services. It brings it into its own standalone application that is compatible with like your media keys on your desktop and uh, like your volume slider. I'll give you a little demo. I happen to have it installed right here under the Arch Linux. So uh, here is that I've configured Amazon Cloud Player, Google Play, and Spotify. So let's open up Google Play Music. Let's say you maybe got yourself a little YouTube Red or or whatever. You double-click it there, so I've already configured and linked the uh, service. And it, well, it launches Google Play in a separate window. Now, I have a separate icon now for Google Play. And one of the other things that I think is worth noting is uh, I also have, like, a title bar to manage it. And I believe this is also why I can do uh, playback control. So let's try searching for, like, a little Ronald here. Yeah, a little Mr. Ronald Jenkins. So let's, because I can, I can play that without getting sued by YouTube. So uh, let's go in here. Well, in theory, I can. And I'm going to try doing, I'm going to see what kind of controls I get when I play Dirty from uh, Mr. Jenkins here. All right, so now if I look. Oh, I don't have any media extensions turned on. But in theory, I now have uh, the ability to, uh, yeah. So it's not in my web browser, it's on separate application. Yeah, well, look at this. You can go out and pull lyrics down, which is kind of neat. I like that. Awesome. Uh, so you can... Huh. I can, uh, from the uh, from the developer, 
or I'm sorry, from the uh, from the UI, the developers made me give me the ability to play and toggle playback, obviously, previous and next song. I can thumbs up and thumbs down, all using just the application here, which is kind of nice. And so all of these can also be controlled with any keyboard controls and stuff like that that you have on your rig. And so I could also, uh, I could jump out of this, I could go back into the application, and I could also go to Amazon's Cloud Player or Spotify and uh, have separate windows for those too. Now he, and it's neat that that's all in that app. Yeah. And the other thing that's really nice is like, say you're on the Cinnamon desktop, and I believe if you're on the Cinnamon desktop, you're going to get the whole player, uh, um, you know, like uh, when you click on the uh, playback. UI uh, integration. Yeah. Yeah. When you click on the sound icon. Jeez, my... I have no, I've had no caffeine today. No caffeine today, Noah. So uh, I'm actually impressed that I'm even uh, been able to Dandy. speak. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Here's the other thing I really like about it. They really are focused on the Linux desktop. And so they have uh, 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 builds available for Ubuntu, Fedora, Debian, and other Linux distros. They're continuing to work on it. Uh, I think it's actually, it does actually show some promise. It's sort of, for me, I, I don't really find myself using Google Play, even though I got it as part of something. But if mm -hmm, I could bring mm -hmm. it down as a desktop application where I have an icon on my launcher for it, that's almost just enough to remind me. Yeah, the thing, that, the thing that hooked me about Google Play, the thing that I have great hopes for this app is, I, of course somebody would send me a thing right now, um, is, the, the, is what I can do is I, I had a bunch of music that I ripped previously from mm -hmm. CDs and I have uploaded mm -hmm. that now to Google Play. Well, how do I get that back down? I, I have tried the Google Play client thing. It's a joke. Um, and so this, uh, that, that's going to be my solution for listening to music while I'm working in the basement. Working, uh, quote unquote. Yeah. Working. And for me yeah. too. And I'm showing some, uh, I'm showing some uh, screenshots of their GrooveShark integration. Uh, I like it. The other thing I like about it is it gives you some consistent navigation controls across all these different uh, music players, and it integrates in with uh, different desktop environments. So I think that's kind of nice too, and including like desktop notifications and uh, all that goodness. So you can check it out. It's called Nouveau Player, we believe. It's open source. It's focused exclusively on the Linux desktop, and it probably supports your favorite music streaming service in a nice native application on the desktop. Well, at least as native as that kind of thing can get. Because it, after all, does rely on their web services. Speaking of relying on web services, I have been trying to be a clever badger and come up with a really economical, dead easy way to add a ton of storage to a light front end rig. I got a hypothetical okay. scenario for you, Noah. Are you ready? Okay, I'm ready. Hypothetically, I, I, hypothetically I have like a VPS, like a DigitalOcean droplet, right? Oh, and say oh, okay. I'm running MB on this DigitalOcean droplet, right? All right. Or say I'm running Sync thing, or I'm running something like okay. that. And okay. then I'm like, you know what I would like to do? Have storage I would on like, the box. I would like to add additional remote storage. And I've thought a lot of different ways about doing this. And this would be valuable for even machines like a Bonobo here where I have SSDs and I don't have tons and tons of storage. You know, it doesn't have to be a VPS, really. But... Really, really high end, you know, uh, a lot of storage is kind of expensive. So I've been experimenting with just playing around with G Drive FS, a fuse wrapper for Google Drive that allows you to very easily mount Google Drive right to your file system. Probably a lot of you have heard of this before. This has gotten, gotten some recent improvements. Uh, and I, I, I've been playing with it a little bit. And, uh, I like that it doesn't require your credentials. It uses an API key from Google, which is very nice. Mm -hmm. And the idea here is you mount this, and then I'm now I'm not saying I'm going to use this because I would probably then want to use it with something like IncFS or something like that on top of it even. But uh, I wonder if anybody out there has an experience with this because in my experimentations over the week, I was basically using it to just toss 
files between different Linux blocks, having a little cloud storage I could just toss something on. And, you mm -hmm. know, you can get, like, a ridiculous amount, like 10 terabytes for a ridiculous price on Google Drive. Yeah. I actually did something similar to this when I, uh, when I did my... Um when I did when I was when I was using the Pixel because it had drive integration on the Pixel itself and I used it might have been this exact program or at least something very similar where I could mount Google Drive as as a local disk and you're right you know the the cost is I, th I think it's like ninety nine I think it's like a hundred bucks a month for ten terabytes or ten yeah. bucks a month for one terabyte so I mean it's insanely cheap compared to what you would pay at you know for AWS or even DigitalOcean I mean the the cost for a large storage is expensive mm -hmm. yeah and uh, for distributions like Arch. It's in the AUR, and mm -hmm. so I had this up and running in like 30 seconds. And uh, it was interesting, you know, it's a little sluggish, but it just now it just shows up as a network icon or a drive in, in files, and I can drag files to it. It's mounted on the file system. I just mounted it in my home directory in a, in a subfolder. And uh, I thought, this, I would be curious to know how many people out there have experimented with this and what the downsides are and what you do to protect your security and to keep the files that you're putting on there confidential. What are your steps? So I'm putting it out there because it's a pretty neat project. They've had some recent improvements that actually make it really nice, especially when trying to work with files that if you try to copy a file up there that already exists in the past, it could cause some crashes. That's mm -hmm. now been resolved, things like that. So G Drive FS, it does require Fuse, uh, but there's a few ways, there's probably a few ways to crack that particular egg. So I'd be curious to hear what the audience did. And then as our double, 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 double bonus pick, because it is a very Star Wars week this week, uh, Noah found... The force blocker. You can force block. You know what reminds me of? No, it sounds like a, the force block sounds like another kind of block. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. It's a Star it's, Wars right when you said blocker. It, I started laughing. No, I, uh, here's, so here's, have you seen it? Have you, did you, I suppose you didn't because you, you know, you're, you know, busy and lots no, of but things I grok, going on. No, but I, I think I grok the concept, right? Is, well, uh, no, no, I, I didn't necessarily mean the extension. I meant the movie. Oh, oh, no, no, I have not. Have you? So, yeah, I did. Oh, I, really? Yeah, I did. I, yeah, I went opening night and, and it is, it's, it's fantastic movie. I won't ruin anything for you. Uh, but it's an amazing movie, and they have fixed all the things that nobody liked about Star Wars one, two, and three, and what everyone did like about four, five, and six. It's an amazing movie. It's a it's it's a it's a, a great comeback for Star Wars. The problem is, if you haven't had a chance to see the movie yet, people keep posting on Twitter and on Facebook and in Mumble and in the IRC, like everywhere you can imagine on the internet, somebody is posting a spoiler. In fact, people are going out and trying to troll people, making up spoiler things that haven't even yeah that aren't even in the movie and they're making yeah. them up yeah and so if you just want to block all of that there's an extension for that that's nice i like yeah. that that's good so we'll have that linked in the uh in the uh, show notes if you guys want to check that out yeah i don't know when i'm going to get a chance because now i feel like uh, i'm uh i'm um i'm sick like, no i'm well yeah i'm sick there's so there's that that that's kind of a bummer uh but i'm also um now I'm afraid it's going to be like a rampage to get in there. Like, I don't want to fight everybody to get, I don't want to wait in line and all that stuff. So I'll just come to Grand Forks, North Dakota. There's nobody in line. Now I'm just, now I just have to time and strike it when the moment is right. Uh, all right, Mr. Noah. So uh, all our past picks over at uh, jupiterbroadcasting.com slash last picks. We have two more episodes coming up this year before we're all done. And uh, next week's episode if uh, assuming it gets all put together, is going to be a uh, look back at moments from 2015. Yes, yes, we have something kind of fun we're putting together for that, actually. Uh, and then on uh, the last episode of the year, we're going to move that episode to Sunday. We'll be live on Sunday if you'd like to join us over at jblive.tv. Shout out to everybody who joined us live over at jblive.tv this Friday. We did this show at 3 p.m. Pacific. You can see when that is in your local time at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. And then uh, join us for the last show of the year, on Sunday for a special Sunday recording. 
And then uh, we'll be back at the uh, Friday time, I imagine. JupiterBroadcasting.com slash calendar for all of that. But no, with the picks all done, you know what it is. Guess what? Do you feel it? Can you smell new, it coming? New, 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 new things, new news. The news. You got it. Let's the do news. the news. the news and this episode is brought to you by ting.com everybody right now last.ting.com once you go there support the show and save yourselves a boatload off a ting device or get yourself ting credit if you have a ting compatible device wait what is ting ting is mobile that makes sense they are killing it right now because it just is exactly the answer to what everybody needs you pay for what you use they take your minutes your messages and your megabytes and then they just add them up that's what you pay and it's flat $6 for the line. They have GSM and CDMA networks you get to pick from. Awesome customer service. A great online dashboard. I love Ting. Been using it for a couple of years. Noah's been using it for a couple of years. Still switching people to Ting all the time, aren't you, Noah? I am. In fact, this week, I was. <clears throat> we were wiring a sports clip. So the, uh, they're, they're building, the franchisee, I guess, um, has franchised the sports clips in Grand Forks, and it did very well. And so we were, we were walking alongside of him with the first build and, and taking care of his network infrastructure and, and stuff like that. And he expanded down to Fargo, a city about 70 miles away. And we walked with him down there and got everything set up there. And now he's ex- building yet another store. And so this week we spent the week w- pulling wire and TVs and the POS system and wireless internet and the whole nine yards. And I was there, I started working on the alarm system and the, um, the project manager comes up to me and he goes, Hey, you guys do alarms, huh? And I said, yeah. And he's like, I got this trailer out in the back that I, that I basically, it's my office while I'm here on job sites. And I would really like an alarm system that I can, uh, view that, or that I could, that, you know, would, would work on that, on that trailer. But the thing is I can't have like a permanently installed system per se, because it doesn't, there's no, you know, network connectivity. There's mm-hmm. no, you know, there's nothing, there's nothing to wire into, you know, this. And so we found him this box and basically what it is, it's a little magnetic wireless, uh, detector. It's actually in the show notes. Uh, underneath the feedback segment and uh, it's it's like a $30 device it's a GSM box and basically you add a sim card to it and it will uh-huh. not only not only will it well is it a door alarm because it can be an instant install but it'll actually even do location tracking so if somebody h- hitches up to that trailer and takes off with it he can just pull up the app on his smartphone click the button and boom it'll tell him exactly where his trailer hey, that's is the rover and yeah exactly and so and we have that being powered by thank you Oh, ting, ting. Ting. Yeah, okay. yeah, that's right. Okay. Yeah, right. Yeah. I was like, oh, I don't know, Linux? What? I don't know. You tell me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we bought, so I actually, when Ting had their $5 sale on their, on their SIM cards, I actually yeah. went and ordered a ton of them. Yeah. And so it was great because he's like, well, what service would you put it on? I'm like, uh, Ting, you know. And so, of course, we, we go through the whole uh, thing where he's like, well, there, you know, there's not a there's not a place in town. I'm like, no, I got you covered, man. I got you covered. Here's here's your SIM card. And, and you know, and, and so we, you put the SIM card in. We activated it. And it was good to go. I love it. They have so many great devices or you can get just the SIM card. They just added the LG Volt 2, a great Android phone, $183. No contract, no early termination fee. These are unlocked. You own these suckers outright. They got a bunch of great phones. Go check them out. Last.ting.com. And before we get out of here, we do have ourselves an app pick of the week. And it's an app I happen to like quite a bit. If you're on yourselves an internet phone, check out Kyra's app pick of Get the a week. Get fresh take on the podcast experience on today's Ting Download. Go, girl! iOS already has a pretty competent podcast player. Competent being the nicest word we could find. It does the job and nothing else. With that said, if you're looking for a more refined podcasting experience, you want to check out the newly free Overcast. Like all good podcasting apps, 
you can add your favorite shows, download, or stream them. Likewise, your listening progress syncs across devices. Nothing new here. Overcast Edge comes from a handful of helpful features exclusive to the app, like Smart Speed, which will speed up the podcast without distorting the audio and remove silences in an effort to save listening time. Or Voice Boost, which equalizes audio so that it sounds loud and clear no matter the listening environment you're in. Smart Playlists allow you to prioritize and sort shows based on the rules you specify. And if you dig deeper into the app, you can adjust the skip time, auto-download your favorite podcast over a Wi-Fi connection, get show recommendations from Twitter, and many more power user features. And hey, there's even an Apple Watch and CarPlay version of the app. For the 10 of you who have those. 10 of you. Overcast is free for iOS. And if you're feeling generous, the app has a tip jar option within. Though, that's up to you. Speaking of patronage, why not like this video, subscribe to our channel, and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for watching, and we'll see you next time. That's right. Go to last.ting.com, last.ting.com, and uh, I'll give another plug for Overcast. I do think that's a pretty good application if you have an internet phone, and it also has a web player, so you can resume playing when you sit down at your desk. Last.ting.com. Big thanks to Ting for sponsoring the Linux Action Show. Okay, no, did you hear about this story, how you can break into a Linux box by pressing backspace? 28 times. Tried to, tried to unlock my laptop uh, when I got here by pressing the backspace 28 times. It didn't quite work. <laughs> it's actually, it's a, <laughs> it's a problem in Grub. And uh, it, a lot of different places like are having fun with their headlines. The supposedly secure Linux can be hacked with the backspace key. I've seen that one a couple of times. It's the Grub rescue shell. Blame it on Grub. It goes back to Grub in 2009. Here's a great quote from Lifehacker. Linux is often thought as a super secure operating system. But that is a good reminder to take physical security just as seriously as network security. Take extra care with your machine if it's around people you don't know. Especially, especially if your system has sensitive data on it. It's from Patrick Allen at Lifehacker. Yeah, I mean, we've all, we've all known that physical security is a big deal. Uh, but this is just a kind of a particularly embarrassing one. There is an emergency fix available, though. Uh, for a bunch of different distros that are uh, issuing out right now. And so we'll have links to that information in the show notes. You guys can go get that. But when I saw this one, guess who was the first person to make sure we made, we put that in the show notes? No. Alan? Yeah, Alan. Yeah. yeah. Here's, here's, here's the thing. The, the idea that... Fi- I, I hate when people start to confuse physical security and, and network security. And more importantly, when they start to, when they start to uh, confuse... Um, you know, security bugs in the operating system with actual encryption. If I want to protect my data, which is what they, they keep saying, protect your data if you have sensitive yeah, data. Yeah. I have sensitive data. It's in a freaking encrypted drive, and it doesn't, it doesn't really care what Grub does or doesn't do or what bugs exist or don't exist in Grub. If I Here's the thing. If I have physical access to the box, I, I have the choice of using single user mode. If I don't want to use single user mode, I can just reinstall the operating system or boot off of a live media and access the drive and pull data out that way. Like... I just, I think people overreact when it comes to some of this stuff. Yeah, it's because, you know, it was, it was in the bootloader. It would allow you to do evaluation, uh, evaluate, jeez, I can't talk today. Escalation of privileges, or yeah, elevation. Information, you know, uh, you could you could basically get a lot of information about a system right there just by hitting backspace 28 times. So it just is one of those things people ran with. Uh, you know, you and I ran with Bitcoin for a while. You still mine. I still do, yep. Yeah, and so I'm really curious. I'm going to read something to you, and then I'd like to talk to you about it and get your take on it. The Linux Foundation has assembled a gang to build a better blockchain. Banks, vendors, team up with enterprise-grade led- uh, uh, enterprise hardware and software to create their own enterprise-grade ledger. The foundation is taking up the blockchain as a supply chain enhancer and electronic transaction speeder upper, thanks to its 
provision of a distributed ledger that has no central point of control, so a distributed ledger with no central point of control, and therefore allows secure peer-to-peer -peer information exchange. But before that dirty blockchain can deliver the goodness to the waiting world, it would be useful if there were a standard version of the technology for all participants to use. That is what this effort is about, hence the Foundation's plan for a new gang of collaborators to initially help identify and address important features currently missing, like requirements for cross-industry open standards. Uh, so Cisco, IBM, VMware, Fujitsu, Intel, I believe uh, JP Morgan as well, though interesting that they didn't list them here, have all signed up for the effort, along with plenty of financial services and organizations. IBM is apparently tossing in tens of thousands of lines of existing code and has corresponding intellectual property to set things in motion. What is your first reaction when I read this to you, Noah? Um, I, my, my gut tells me that this is a good thing. My gut tells me that they are, they are seeing, they are seeing the benefits in a technology that was invented for a different purpose and trying to repurpose it. Um, Sounds good. Before the blockchain can deliver the goodness to the waiting world, it would be useful if there was a standard version of the technology. Is there not already a standard version of the technology? Is it not already an open source project? Well, I think what they're getting at is centralized. Or what it sounds like they might be interested in is centralized. Mark Anderson tweets, he says, Big companies desperately hoping for blockchain without Bitcoin is exactly like 1994. Can we please have online without internet? And I, I kind of agree. And Wall Street, the, uh, the it, here's what actually kind of makes me a little nervous about it is some of the other players are in here. It depends on who's writing this piece. So the register focuses on how the Linux Foundation is running this up. But other mm -hmm. places like, uh, well, hello, desktop, other places like financial reporting outlets actually more frame this as a J.P. Morgan initiative. Uh, there's, a bit of, there's a big group of bankers, the financial and tech and business industries, that have taken the next step in making the blockchain move forward with less ties to Bitcoin. Uh, if we kill, this was a quote from uh, Webster. Uh, Webster was the MPD CEO, and I, I, uh, I don't know, I don't really follow the MPD, but they say uh, that the plans are for big banks like J.P. Morgan and others, and with the support of IBM and Intel, they want to they want to take their own vision of the blockchain, a distributed ledger, sans Bitcoin, and go off in their own direction. No more, no more Bitcoin, just the blockchain. The goal of the Open Ledger project is not to work with the crypt cryptocurrency space, but rather to leverage the technology behind the distributed ledger in order to streamline business tools that enable transactions and documents to move between parties faster. Another goal of the project would be to create open ledgers that can decide who can access that ledger. So they want to take what uh, they want to take what a bunch of geeks built and corporize it and monopolize it, and then redistribute it and tell everyone it's the new standard. And what's a little weird about it is that the Linux Foundation is the one getting in on this, right? I think here's here's where I think there's a little bit of slack to be had, and that is there. I don't think there's much of an argument to be made against the idea that the blockchain can be used for other things, and the implementation yeah. of a blockchain and that the concept of a blockchain, uh, the concept of an open ledger, is useful for things outside of cryptocurrencies, right? I mean. They, I mean, I'm not, I'm not a hundred. Yes, I agree. Although I'm not a hundred percent convinced you can have one without the other, because in order to make it a distributed secure ledger, you need to have people that are doing, you need to have the miners essentially. And the people that mm -hmm. are processing the transactions and yep. they have to be validating and, and the math, they have to be uh, processing the transactions. 
And right. there has to be an incentive for them to do that. And that incentive right now is the currency. The ledger okay. is valuable, so therefore processing the ledger has value, so therefore you get rewarded for it in cryptocurrency. You take away the cryptocurrency, there's not a lot of incentive for a peer-to-peer -peer distributed ledger to exist. Well, I mean, you could attach you could attach a miner's fee that is just simply linked to a you know a, a, a you know integration that is linked to like a PayPal. Thing so it's that, not as you know, but it's then but see they specifically say they wanted to have something that is distributed and they wanted to have something that has no central point of control. Well, if you do that, then yeah, you're, if you control the currency, yeah. Well, maybe you could tie it to a number of different things. Maybe you could fund. Maybe you could fund your 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 transaction fee with Bitcoin or with PayPal or with MoneyGram or with you know yeah. Western Union or whatever else. It's just a weird thing for the Linux Foundation to be getting into. But uh, what am I? Who do I? Who do I? What am I to say? Who am I to say? I'm sure they have a great reason, right? I mean, yeah. Let's talk about something really cool for desktop Linux. XDG app. It continues maturing for GNOME app sandboxing which is going to be their way to have portable desktop Linux applications, have things sandboxed, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. XDG app has made much progress and has found a tech preview in, in tech preview state for GNOME 3.18, but it's not until GNOME 3.20 and later where things will get more interesting. Alexander Larson has provided a Christmas 2015 update concerning the project for GNOME sandboxing. With this week's release of XGD app 0.4.6, there is now a lib XGD app library that is still in the early stages of development for providing UI-driven management of these applications. There will eventually be integration with GNOME software for handling these packaged applications altogether. As a reminder, the sandboxed applications approach replies, uh, relies on Wayland, KDBus, and SE Linux, only one of which is really shipping right now. And the other modern Linux technologies like, uh, I think, uh, C groups and things. With KDBus on the uh, back burner right now from the uh, Systemd project, could be a while before we actually see XGG apps becoming more popular on the GNOME desktop. But it is interesting to see they're closer once those technologies are in place. Kind of neat, Noah. Once we could eventually have the universal desktop Linux app, and that could be a big part of it. Yeah, I, I'm waiting. You know, and the the funny thing is, is I have had that conversation so many times, and <laughs> it, it is a concentric conversation because it, it, you you we all know the counterpoints to the points that we're about to make before you even make them, and so you just go around in circles. But I think at the end of the day, I think most people would agree that the idea of a universal Linux installer, how or universal Linux app, however difficult it is to make and however impossible it is to integrate with the numerous distros, there yeah. you go, Q5 says. Uh, all of that said, I still think it's a huge problem. However, as we go about solving it, it's yeah. a problem. And I think we are working on some actual serious ways to solve it because it's going to be relying relying on infrastructure stuff that's built down at System D and the kernel that doesn't rely on a lot mm -hmm. of other stuff. Well, won't eventually. All right. So speaking of the desktop Linux applications, Google's killing off Chrome 32-bit for Linux. So if you got any 32-bit rigs that you need that run Chrome, guess what? No more. And they say they're just doing this so they can focus on the 64-bit version. What do you think, Noah? I think that's bad. I there's 32-bit is huge for me. Um, that's how, all my Pentium uh, four machines that I restore with Linux uh, Ubuntu Mate are 32-bit. I got good news for you. I got good news for you. I can run the. Uh Chromium. You can no. You can still oh, run okay. Chromium. Chromium will still be a thing uh, to provide the best experience for the most. Used Linux versions will end support for Google Chrome on 32-bit Linux, says Google. So that's Ubuntu 12.04 and Debian 7 they specifically call out in mm -hmm. early March 2016. So there's your deadline, March 2016. Chrome will continue to function on these platforms, but will no longer receive security updates, so it's probably not a good idea. 
Uh, they say, we intend to continue supporting the 32-bit build configurations on Linux to support building Chromium. If you're using Precise, we'd recommend that you upgrade to Trusty. Yeah, well, of course you would. Uh, 1204 is super old. Yeah, uh, if you love Chrome, you can install Chromium from your Linux distribution software repository, so you'll be all right, Noah. You'll be all right. I prefer Chrome so I can get myself the Netflix. You know what I mean, Noah? Yep. I like the Netflix. I have Chrome installed. Yeah, yeah. I think it's pretty reasonable, though, for them to drop 32-bit support, to be honest with you. Uh, I, I, bet you I bet you it won't be long until it's, it's, it's pretty commonplace for entire desktops to just be 60. I mean, it's... it's I, I mean, it is, it is commonplace for entire desktops to be 64-bit. I mean, 64 what, I, bit, but. what I mean is I think it's going to be commonplace for distros just not even bother with 32-bit support. Well, here's the thing. When it comes to, you know, specific applications, like, you know, if you have some, you know, intensive application, you know, Audacity, Lightwork, something that is doing a lot, I could kind of see that. But you know what? There are a whole bunch of people that are in the business of taking really old machines and repurposing them. And the number one thing that they're doing with those machines is launching web browsers. And so if, if I were in charge of one of the two major web browsers, uh, I guess I would really, really, really consider hard um, the fact that all of those people's, their use case is going to get limited to some degree or push towards Firefox. I tell you this, if, if I mean, I will be going to either Chromium or, I mean, I use Firefox anyway, mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. yeah, I would be going to Chromium or Fire, if a user requests Chrome, I'm going to tell them we're going to Chromium, but there's no way for me to get a 64-bit system and they're sure as heck not going to buy a new computer. Right, yeah, well, and, and thankfully Chromium for, for most people... Especially in a work environment. Yeah, Absolutely fine. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, but yeah. Yeah. I, I follow you. I follow you. I actually think it's, I think it's going to become more and more common. So you better brace yourself. Mr. Noah, Bracing. you better brace yourself. All right. Linux Action Show at Reddit.com if you'd like to submit a news story to get covered on this show. And uh, also, please keep submitting while uh, the holidays are here. That's always very helpful. LinuxActionShow.reddit.com. That's all the news for this week. The Let's Encrypt project inspired us here on the show to talk a little bit about SSL, how to make it rock on your Linux box, and maybe how to take advantage of the Let's Encrypt project. So I want to talk about that. But first, I'm going to mention our segment sponsor. That's the folks over at Linux Academy. Go to linuxacademy.com slash unplugged to totally take advantage of the unplugged discount right now for you. It's a good discount, and I love Linux Academy. This is the place to go to guess what, Noah? Learn about Linux. Yeah, what? shocker right there. Linux. I love yeah, Linux. step-by-step -step video courses, nearly 2,000 videos. You get experience that you need with instructor help available on demand. Comes with your own server, seven-plus distributions you get to choose from. Spins them servers up with the distro you chose, and the courseware automatically adjusts to match that. They have availability planners. You go in there and say how much time you have availability. They'll build you courseware. The best courseware for the Red Hat certified courses or the Amazon Web Services. Holy smokes. OpenStack. They got a ton of stuff on that. You get in the DevOps position. Guess what? Good courseware on that. Want to learn Python, Ruby, set up an Apache box, learn IP tables, rsync, the basics of Linux administration, or how to even get a Linux job. They got courses on all of it. Scenario-based labs. So you really get your hands on this stuff. You know, the uh, we're going to go into encryption, obviously, and let's encrypt. But you know, the one thing we didn't have quite time to film, mm. Chris, is how to what to do with the certificate after you have one. Like you have this beautiful certificate. It was easy to create. We talk about exactly what it does. But what do you do with it? Well, if you uh, look at course number 144, it, they actually have 
a course on Apache and self-signed SSL certificates. And of course, instead of the self-signed SSL certificate, you can put in your Let's Encrypt certificate, and then you can actually use yeah. that certificate we're about to teach you. Brilliant. So that was course 144. And uh, you can go ch- look, go take a look. And, you know, I think you'll find one of, the, one of the nice things about Linux Academy is there's a lot of Jupyter Broadcasting community members in there. So that's pretty cool, too. They're in there. With the, they're active. They participate. It's pretty neat. Linux Academy follows the latest and greatest technologies and makes incredible courseware out of it. And you can get our discount at linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. You're going to learn a bit more about SSL today and then take it even further with Linux Academy. Linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. And a big thank you to Linux Academy for sponsoring the Linux Action Show. So let's talk a little bit just super briefly about the new Let's Encrypt project. You guys have heard us mention it before on the show. They entered public beta on December 3rd. No more invites required. The idea is this is a really good way for people to be able to freely authorize or uh, no verify would be the word to use, verify who they are online. And so if you're not familiar with why this is important or this is a subject that Maybe like Noah and I, you avoided for quite a while. Yes, yes, like a long mm-hmm. while. You know, the, the, if you've ever been to a site or you've ever configured a, a router and you get that little page that says, stop, this page is not secure. Do not proceed or any further. cloud or anything may like come that. To your, yeah, yeah, right, mm-hmm. right. But I think the, the, the most common place the is, home the, router. is those little self-signed yeah. Yeah, home router stuff. And, and the, the problem is, especially the, what really hit me was that one of the first times I did one of those with Chrome, and I wasn't aware that you have to click on the advanced thing. And because on Firefox, it just says, OK, let me in anyway. On Chrome, you have to click on the little advanced menu and then it gives you a different page that you can actually continue on. That's a real pain. And so if you want to provide, an, you know, a, a, an encrypted website for your for your traffic to uh, transition through, you have to have SSL. And if you don't pay the money and go through the extraordinary pain in the toots to get a actual signed SSL yeah. certificate. That's what your that's what your users are going to have to yeah. deal with. So, how many people are going to shop at a site that says this site is not secure? Well, it, you should not even continue. like when you are going through and replacing, uh, like say Google Cloud services, or you're trying to set up your own, uh, mm-hmm. you know, on premises services. It is nice, even though you know you can trust the person set up because it's you. It's still nice to have that yeah. actual genuine cert. Uh, and oh, yeah. so it makes family members more comfortable. It makes setting up on mobile devices easier. It makes applications that don't properly display uh, invalid cert warnings work. There's all kinds of reasons. And if you're if we're talking over your head, don't worry. Uh, we've made a little video. Well, Noah made a little video here a couple of minutes long that's going to explain some of the basics for you and then introduce you to Let's Encrypt Project. So before we go any further, let's jump into that. Take it away, Noah, from the past. Anytime we talk about IT security, we want to consider the security triangle. Now, the security triangle are three specific areas of interest that we want to take into account anytime we implement security practices. Those three areas are ease of use, functionality, and security. Now, I have to be completely honest with you. I actually entered into this segment with a little bit of a begrudging attitude, mainly because with a new baby on the way, a new house that I'm working with, and a company that is exploding towards the end of the year as far as our busy time goes, I don't have a lot of time to be worried about security. I need a ton of ease of use and I need a ton of functionality. And so the idea of adding uh, extra security and really an extra headache into my day um, was not something I was overly looking forward to. But as it turns out, Let's Encrypt is a great way to implement security and my attitude was flipped 180 degrees. Let me explain why. 
Before we can dive any further into Let's Encrypt, we have to understand what encryption is. Now we all know that encryption is basically a mechanism we use to encapsulate our information so that we can safely transition it over the internet. Right? But how does it actually work deep down at its core? It all starts with something called a prime number. Now what is a prime number? A prime number is a number that can only be divided by itself and one. Take for example the number seven or the number 13. Now what really becomes interesting is when you take two prime numbers and multiply them by each other. We get what's known as a semi-prime. Now the interesting thing about semi-prime numbers are they are very, very easy and quick to calculate, but they are almost impossible to uncalculate or to reverse engineer. Take for example, if I were to give you the two prime numbers, 11 and 13, you would get the number 143. But if I give you the number 143, the only way to find the numbers 11 and 13 is by trial and error. And that can take a long, long time. Now you can imagine, I'm using small numbers, but you can extrapolate that out and have a very, 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 very large semi-prime that is relatively quick to calculate one way, but almost impossible to uncalculate. In fact, it would take hundreds of thousands of computers, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of years to reverse engineer to, to do the calculation backwards. And that makes it incredibly useful for computer encryption and computer cryptography. Encryption really exists in two forms, symmetric encryption and asymmetric encryption. And basically the difference being how the key pairs are set up. So with symmetric encryption, I have a single key that is used to both encrypt and decrypt data. And that is a very simple, straightforward way to use encryption, but the problem becomes it's almost impossible to distribute a key because it has to be done offline to be safe uh, lest you're, you, you, you compromise um, the security infrastructure. And that's exactly why asymmetric encryption was born. And basically we have a key pair and we identify one key as a public key and another key as a private key. Now, anyone that's doing certification or anyone that has existed in the hacker penetration uh, security space will tell you that the public key encrypts and the private key decrypts. And while that's the way you will probably see it on test questions, and I can make a good argument for why that's true, that is not technically accurate. Technically speaking, what one key does, the other key undoes. So if I encrypt something with the public key, I can decrypt it with the private key. And if I encrypt something with the private key, the only key that can decrypt it is the public key. The last step here is the infrastructure used for distributing keys. And that's what's known as the PKI, or the Public Key Infrastructure. And basically what PKI is, is I have a guy that works for my company, and he is what's known as the authority for the certificates. And so he sits at his desk, and uh, John comes in and says, I would like to encrypt and send documents around to the company. And so this guy, my guy looks at his driver's license and verifies his birth certificates and takes a DNA sample and a, and a thumbprint reader and does a retinal scan. And after all of that is complete, verifies that John is actually John and issues him a key and puts his public key inside of the PKI system so that everyone else in the company can now trust when John sends a message, the message is actually from John. And that is the purpose of PKI. Guarding the CA, guarding the certificate authority is of course utmost important because if you can compromise the certificate authority, you basically compromise the entire company. The way this is implemented on the internet is with the X.509 standard. And basically you apply for a certificate for your server or for your domain and that's issued and put onto the server 
And now that is a registered website. People can trust it. And so basically when you go to uh, any SSL secured site, your client is sending a hello message. The server is sending a hello message with the SSL version, the session ID and a cert message. Then the server is sending the hello done. Then your client verifies that cert and sends the client key and an exchange message. Then the client sends the finished message with the hash included, and then the server compares the hash and, uh, and calculates that against its computed hash and sends the finished message. And thus you have secure communication across the internet. And that sounds really good in theory. The problem is how do we actually apply it? Because for years and years and years, actually implementing an SSL certificate has been ridiculously difficult. So much so that I almost never do it. I understand the reasons to do it. I understand um, the benefits to having security and encryption. And I still never do it because it's such a pain or has been such a pain. And let me show you how easy it's become with Let's Encrypt. Okay, so here we are at our 1404 Ubuntu box. We're going to bring down our drop-down terminal and SSH into a box I've set up on DigitalOcean with a domain I own. And it's going to prompt me for my YubiKey pin, and we'll type that in. And the first thing we'll do is go through and actually update the entire box. Okay, our box is done updating. The next thing we're going to do is we're going to go ahead and install the uh, web server. So we'll type yum install httpd techy, and now the web server is installed. We'll go ahead and use systemd to start the web server, and we'll go ahead and enable the web server to start upon boot up every time. All right, the next thing we're going to do is we're going to go ahead and install git. And now we can use Git to clone the Let's Encrypt repo. Okay, that's done. We'll go into the Let's Encrypt directory. And we're going to go ahead and use Let's Encrypt tac auto and then tac tac help. And that will actually start the script that will kick off and get um, let's encrypt the necessary packages installed and uh, some of the configuration done actually. And that kind of takes a little bit. So there's 23 packages total. And this is like a bash script that it's running, Noah? Yeah, I believe so. It, I actually, I looked at it a little bit, but my, my bash foo is not as righteous as some. Hmm. I didn't, it's all, it all happens pretty quick. So you don't, you don't. It does, and the, the most important thing is watching paint dry, watching progress bars isn't really ever an issue. It's how much work do I have to do, and all I really have to do is run that one script and then walk away, and it will kind of do everything else this for you. This is a CentOS desktop? Well, I messaged oh, into a CentOS yeah, server say, on DigitalOcean. Okay, okay, yeah. Because, you know, at $5 right, a rate. You, you, did say, you did say that. I see. I didn't even know you deployed CentOS droplets. Like, it's yeah, like I don't yeah, even know actually, you. <laughs> don't even know you. Crazy man. Uh, I'm, I'm going to go look. This I'll is a good part you. of the video. This is pretty entertaining. I, I really like it. You know, I did a really good job of the first <laughs> one cutting it out. Apparently, I forgot a section. <laughs> that's right. I knew it was coming. I thought this would be fun for you. Oh, and yeah. I, oh yeah. That's right. You, you, you pre watched. I, I thought this would be a. There we go. Now that that's done, now we can actually go about the process of generating the certificate it's, itself. So we'll do uh, Let's Encrypt, TAC Auto, Cert Only, TAC Tech Standalone, TAC D, and then give it the 
domain name, then another space syntactd, and then the domain name. 14 of my droplets are CentOS. And now it's actually going to launch the Let's Encrypt client, which will walk us through. So we're going to put in my email address, no at jupiterbroadcasting.com. We'll click OK. And it's going to, we'll accept the terms. And, oh, looks like our web server is running. So we'll go ahead and kill that using system D. And now we'll go back and rerun that command. And there you go. And so I guess it, it needs the web browser stop, so that way you can update the config of the web browser. Or web yeah, server, well, I should say. Uh, the web server, yeah. I mean, uh, maybe okay. in the future and we'll we go, go through. Now we have a successful generated encryption certificate, and that took, uh, like, what, two minutes? Yeah. To actually run the, the Let's Encrypt stuff. And the, the cool thing is, from there, you can take that certificate, you can back it up, and you only have to go through that process one time. Now right. that domain has a registered right. SSL cert, and you can go restore the server a thousand times, and you never have to worry about Let's Encrypt until that certificate expires. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. when it does expire, it's actually a trivial process to and Here's it. what's really cool is I think we're going to see more and more open source projects integrating Let's Encrypt with them, just so that way, you know, we have some some identity on the web. Uh, Caddy 0.8 has been released this week with Let's Encrypt integration which is kind of neat, uh, so you can check that out. There's other open source projects that are looking into it as well. And so this is this maybe the beginning of something pretty cool. We'll see. I don't know. I'd like to hear the audience's thoughts, linuxactionshow.reddit.com. But you were impressed, it sounds like, Noah, with the process. Very, very. It, the thing is, the hardest part of the, the, of the entire process is getting the cert signed. And, and, and actually, really, it's not, a, it's not exactly a nominal cost to buy an SSL cert, or at least the last time I did it yeah. wasn't. Um, and so, and so, and, and that cost and that time alone is what is going to keep you from putting, S, uh, putting in, in a, a, an actual cert on something like a router right. or on something like, but I tell you what, with this, man, everything I do with SSL is going to be Let's Encrypt Easy peasy. Easy peasy. Yeah. Check it out. And you guys can learn more, uh, at Let's Encrypt.org about the project. We have the link to the Linux Academy, uh, course on uh, more about, we're just more information on the general subject. And of course... You can find links and additional information all in the show notes over at jupiterbroadcasting.com. Just look for last 396. And let us know how you're using Let's Encrypt. Go to linuxactionshow.reddit.com and leave us feedback for 396. All right, Noah, let's go to the feedback. And that brings us to the end of this week's broadcast. We do have some feedback to get into, and I want to thank our feedback sponsor, System76. They make machines built to run Linux, born to run Ubuntu, and they have free shipping for the holidays on laptops and desktops, and they got 50 bucks off the Meerkat right now. So 50 bucks off the Meerkat and free shipping. That is a great, great opportunity. That's a great little rig. We got to play with one of those while we were there. Also, the Rattel Pro is smaller and shorter than you'd think, but it's still going to fit your standard graphics card in there. Go check out these desktops built right here in the US of A, created to run Linux, tested, backed up, it's that out-of-box experience we've all been waiting for, and they also have great laptops. The Oryx Pro is a monster. The Gazelle is beautiful for the price. Check that out. Free shipping, too, right now. System76.com. Stop fighting with your hardware and go play with your Linux. Did you notice that Car uh, on Carl's desk was a, uh, was a, uh, uh, a uh, uh, what do you call the little one? The, uh, the Meerkat? Meerkat, Meerkat. Yeah, yeah oh, yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. and so and it was funny because I was like, huh, if I was the like the owner of the company, that's what he uses. He uses the Meerkat. Oh, yeah. So if it's good enough for him, 
good enough for you. Oh yeah, I mean, our trip to System 76, it really, it really reinforced for me like how serious they are, how passionate they are about this, and how obsessive they are about some of the details that, from afar, you really yeah. never know. They could, they, you know, there are so many little things they obsess about that as users we never even know they worry about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And certain things they just won't do, and you, you know, you just have no idea. Like, they have a very high bar. They have a very high bar. System76.com. Plus, then your money's going to the, into the local Linux ecosystem. You got to love that, too. All right. Our first email of the day comes in from Paul M. with a big thank you. Ooh. I just want to thank you and show, my appreci- and, uh, show my appreciation of how much of a resource you are. I have been a data center tech for five years. I've dabbled with different technologies over the years, and Linux has always interested me. About a year ago, I had a little girl. Congratulations. This really made me think. I get motivated, so I ordered my first Red Hat uh, Red Hat CSA. Remind me what SA stands for? Systems Certified M- System Administrator. Administrator. Yeah, figures. Uh, and started to study. Today, I signed a contract with a new company with the role of the Linux sysadmin. You guys have been a great help. Not only have I taken full advantage of your DigitalOcean promo code, I set up CentOS virtual environments at home. I also used your Linux Academy deal, uh, which was a godsend, and I was... Uh, and it, also, you were my weekly doses of information from last and unplugged that gave me things to try and mess around with and talk about. But you've always mainly contributed towards a lifestyle change. And uh, you've given me extra three hours a day with my daughter. This I cannot thank you enough for. I currently live in Brighton. I guess that's the south coast of England. And I work in London. It's a 90-mile trip each way, a four-hour round trip in UK traffic. My new role is 12 miles from my house. This means no more 4.30 a.m. starts being tied up all the time and no more time and more time to study. I do hope you read this as it might help motivate someone else to do the same. You have to keep listening now that you're not driving as much, Paul. As a side note, I've converted seven people to Linux and helped support them during their transition, and all seven have loved it. And my last swag has been ordered. Regards, Paul. Wow, that's a nice email. That's a good one when I'm not feeling very well today. That's a nice yeah. one. I was, I, in fact, when I was reading it, I thought, I wonder if I should save that and then just send it to you when, when, when you're having a rough day or whatever. But uh, no, we we appreciate it, and you know that it is a lifestyle change to for for uh, for a select few of us. It's it's more than just a technology. It is more than just um, a, a job. And and I'll tell you something too. And this is I had a discussion uh, a couple of weeks ago with somebody, and that people like you, uh, you know, uh, people like you, and people like Chris and and myself. Th- the reason that we are always going to stay one step ahead of the guy that says, gee, I see you can make a lot of money in IT. I'm going to go pick up a book and get a certification and do it. The reason that we will always be one step ahead of you and the reason we'll always be doing a better job is because when I get done doing it for work, I left work and came here and I'm doing a podcast for fun. And as soon as I get done with this, I'm getting straight in my car and I'm driving 45 minutes to help a friend set up a server in his basement because it's not just a job to me. It is, it is, it is, it is a, it is a right. deep passion yeah. and that stuff alone working till 3am playing with stuff till three, four in the morning. I never feel like I'm at work. I feel like I'm just playing all day long. I just happen to be able to take a paycheck from it. And Chris, <laughs> you kind of do the same thing. Yeah. You know, I mean, not always, I, I, certainly there are some things about both of our jobs we, you know, prefer to, to skirt, but it's people like you that have a passion about it and, and that change your, your, as you, when you identified as a lifestyle rather than just oh, that's my new J-O-B, that's the place I go to get my money. Mm-hmm. When you can do that, I think you're going to wind up being remarkably successful as compared to other people. That's well put, sir. You want to take the next one? Yeah, I do, And uh, but you get to pronounce the name. <laughs> I can't even read that. I, that looks <laughs> like, uh, I'm going to say Joe J. Yeah, I, I, you know, we apologize um, being here in, in, in the U.S. We're somewhat egocentric. I'm not and even so sure if it's no rendering way. properly. 
Well, I ca- I don't change it when it comes in in the email because I never know if those if those uh, if those marks are are you know significant. No, to the name. I would accept. I would. I would. Uh, I would submit to you, sir. We are being trolled. Oh, because people know of our pronunciation. Uh, you could say vulnerability, and they are exploiting said vulnerability because the attack surface, sir, is wide. Gotcha. All right. J Dog writes in, and J Dog says he wants to know about a Linux kiosk. Hi there. I'm almost sure I've heard Noah talking about setting a Linux kiosk machine. Almost. How do you do that? Any special distribution you use? How do you manage user permissions? Do you have any tips that might not be obvious? Thanks a lot and keep up the good work. And thanks for all you do on Jupiter Broadcasting and keeping me awake on my 2 a.m. road trips. Woo. I might reschedule those from 2 a.m. if I were you. Um, but as far as setting up the kiosk machines, we do. We deploy a ton of them. And in fact, it has gotten to a point now where um, we don't even set them up individually. We just we have an image and we dump the image onto the machines because we are using the exact same hardware and configuration and setups and stuff. Um the first thing I would tell you to pay a lot of attention to, because I think it really gets overlooked, pay attention to the hardware that the user is going to interface with. So, for example, do not go buy the cheapest, less least expensive, plasticky, crappy screen you can buy at Best Buy on sale for 59 bucks, because it's going to have a resolution of 1024 by 768. It's going to it's going to be on a, on a wobbly plastic stand that's smudge magnety and it just looks horrible. And then that starts off with a bad user experience. So. Um, we have a we have a, a very specific model of display that we use that has a little glowing LED thing at the base and it's white and glossy and and kind of has a, a little bit of a sex appeal. And then um, we have a specific keyboard that that we really like. I think it's the 520 from Logitech, um, which is a keyboard mouse combo. It has a tiny little uh, USB receiver, so it it kind of goes to the back of the of the box, and so people don't see them. We are using Intel Nooks right now to for the actual hardware. And as far as the distribution, it's just stock Ubuntu. We just tweak it a little bit. Um, so we, we, we start out with stock Ubuntu. LTS. And basically, LTS. And basically, uh, the short of it is, and we could, maybe this is a, 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 a possible how-to in the future, but basically what we do is we set the entire box up installing Chrome, Firefox. Um, we have a, a, set, a special website that has hot links to all of the things that are are popular oh, nice. in the hospitality industry, and that's set as a homepage. And then what we do is we take all that and get it all configured. We tarball up that home directory and store it in in, in on on in the root directory. And then there's a script that kicks off and it basically blows the home directory away and untars that that tarballed up uh, you know uh, sterile directory back onto the machine. So yeah. when people rearrange the icons and change the background, do all the stuff they're going to do. When you restart the machine, it goes back. And because we remove pseudo privileges from the user, they don't have access to the root drive to actually modify the tarball. Problem solved. That was exactly what I did when I was deploying early Ubuntu machines in a school yep. district. And um, the uh, the advantage there too is we also set it up so we could we would centrally we had the we had the the uh, I guess you could call it the skeleton home directory. We mm-hmm, had the mm-hmm. uh, the template home directory as something you could just push out a new tar file to. So we could just send out a new desktop to everybody over SCP, and the next time they logged in, they would get this new desktop environment, or the updates yep. to the desktop. So it was pretty cool. There you go. Good stuff. You can email the show. Go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact, and choose Linux Action Show from the dropdown, and uh, send us in your emails. We'd love to get them. linuxactionshow.reddit.com is also the place you go to uh, engage with the community, submit stories, projects you'd like us to talk about, or feedback for the specific episode. LinuxActionShow.reddit.com. No, anywhere you want to send folks throughout the I'm week. on Twitter, at Kernel Linux. I had pictures up this week of um, rewiring the sport, or not rewiring, wiring for the first time the, the sports clips, as well as my very creative parking spot. Yes. Because my my sister had, had, a, had a little get-together, 
uh, for a celebration and she picked the restaurant that is attached inside of this mall where a movie theater is. Well, guess what was happening last night? The release of Star Wars. And so every Tom, Dick, Harry, Bob and Frank was out to watch the Star Wars movie. And so I couldn't find parking. And I got to a point and I was like, well, I drive a Jeep. I'll make my own parking. So I backed my Jeep up along this embankment and just I, I it took me one or two runs to actually get it up there. <laughs> and I set the parking brake and I'm like, I'll park here. <laughs> I got to you know, I got to pick your brain about some snow driving that I have coming up after okay. the post show. Yeah, I know everything about there is to know about snow driving. <laughs> yeah, I got I got to I got to I got to drive in the snow. I got to go over the passes. I, I, it's no good. No, it's no good. Okay. It's no good. So I got to pick your brain. I'll do that in the post show. You can follow me yeah. on Twitter on Twitter. I'm at Chris Elias. I have a new account over there. So. You, you may not be following me because I set it up just a little while ago. And then we also have a network account at Jupiter Signal for news, events, announcements. JupiterBroadcasting.com slash calendar for the live schedule. You might be wanting to check in on that over the holidays because it's not going to be our typical live schedule during the holidays. Oh, also, happy holidays to everybody out there. We will have some episodes that release during the holiday. We have one live one at the end of the year and one that will be releasing around Christmas. But uh, just a happy holidays to everybody listening. Hope you had a a great year and hope you enjoy your holidays and uh, do tune in on our last end of the year show because I think we'll probably do our traditional predictions episode and so we'd love to take some from the chat room too for uh, 2016 so check the calendar for that I think that'd be a good episode alright everybody thanks so much for tuning in this week's episode of the Linux Action Show and we'll see you right back here next week I gotta tell ya, I gotta tell ya, I have a bit of a headache now. Now my head's pounding. Now it's pounding. So here's a series oh, really? of events that I don't even, I don't even understand. Okay. It starts like this. Uh, last night I think I have a back pain, right? I think, oh, I got a back pain. Okay, so right. then I'm like, hmm, uncomfortable. Then this morning I realized that's not a back pain, and it hurts more as kidney pain. Okay. Oh no. Yes, and I don't know if I got like a kidney infection, or I got like a kidney stone, or whatever. So I'm just drinking a lot of liquids for water, uh, but I'm what I'm not doing is I'm not having any caffeine because I don't want to have any diuretics or anything that you know would have to go through the kidneys. It would be challenging, so no caffeine. But you know what happens if you consistently have caffeine for like a year in high doses? Caffeine headache. So now I have a caffeine. So now I got a kidney thing going and a caffeine headache and Comcast is crapping out. It's just one thing after another. I, I know you. I don't care what you hear, Mr. Jumbalaya. It's a matter of what I hear, is what matters, because of account of the headphones. See, I got these, I got these cans on my head. I got these cans. And by the way, all you tell me to drink water. This is like the ninth one of these sons of bitches I've had today. And that bullshit about having to drink eight cups of water a day is bullshit. Days. This is what I like to call peak of my mental capabilities. What alcohol are you drinking? I'm not drinking any alcohol. Only water. You Jeez, think if guys. I'm not letting myself have caffeine, you think I'm going to have booze? Trust me, the caffeine is pretty much essential for functionality. The, that, if I'm not having caffeine, I'm definitely not having booze. That's obvious.